Well, hello, and a big welcome again to our podcast, We're All Ears. I'm delighted to be joining you today. Um, my name is Chris, but more importantly, um, I'm joined by the wonderful Liz. Say hello, Liz. Hello. And say guten tag, Rob. I, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> Not with the right accent. Hello. Hello. So lovely to join you. Um, as normal, our podcasts are uh, you know, available for you to listen to um, all year round. But this time I want to pay tribute and nay honour to an extremely special guest that we have today, um, which is the very well-esteemed, the, the very handsome Mr. Jason Smalley. Hello, you're right. Do I need to like superimpose some audience clapping there, Jason? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The crowd went wild. Let's assume that. <laughs> well, we went wild. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, it's always a pleasure to have guests on our podcast. And uh, yeah, you're very, very welcome. Thank you very much for the invite. No worries. Right. So today's question of the day or today's topic of the day, maybe, is more pertinent to say. ANSD. It's that dreaded phrase that uh, I bet a lot of audiologists go, oh, don't deal with that. No, no. Um, but we have we have the acumen. We have the clinical acumen with us today. And um, I mean, one of the things I'm going to start off this talk about is that I principally have trained in newborn hearing screening. And it's quite scary the amount of people that don't even know that this could be a condition from birth. Is that fair to say, Jason? I think you're 100% right, yeah. Um, and that might partly be down to our screening model. So in the UK and, well, in England particularly, especially years ago, we, we genuinely only thought it was probably in NICU babies. Um, and that's why they, they receive an AABR at birth and have to pass that, whereas well babies can be discharged off OAE. But yeah, it, it's probably down to our screening model from the past, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, Liz and Rob, um, I don't mind who goes first, but have, have you studied ANSD as part of your clinical training or is it one of those things that sort of mentioned and then you concentrate on hearing aid fitting? I'd be interested to hear. It's not something I remember covering at university. I definitely remember APD, but ANSD, we didn't spend a great deal of time on if it, if it was covered at all. I cheated slightly. I went to a university that had the um, the esteemed Kai Ooze as one of my lecturers. Ah. Um so yeah, we I remember it pretty distinctly because her entire specialty is things that might affect a you know a small number of people, but when you've met the parents of them and stuff, it's a different matter. So uh, so yeah, I, I do remember covering it, but being incredibly confused by it because because uh, in summary, it's sort of not a thing. It's just uh, we don't have any other word, so it's a set of results, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, very much so. So it's not a condition in itself. It's more a description for what you're actually finding in the child. So, yeah, it's a bit of an enigma wrapped up in wrapped up in other things. I'll be honest, from my point of view, actually, at university, it wasn't very well touched on. I think it has to be one of those things. It has to be someone's baby. It has to be someone's interest um, before it's before it's taught and picked up on. I was just going to ask, when did ANSD kind of become a hot topic? When when did it? really emerge um, in audiology well i think that's one of the issues so um i think the first case is the late 80s and that was someone who so we were doing abr on on babies from uh, that were targeted screen in the late 80s and we were getting these children where their abr was suggested they were profound but actually you know what they were whipping around at 40s 50s for behavioral testing so it's a case of um what what's, what's all this about sort of thing 
I think that's my next question, Jason. Like, what is the big deal? Like, why are we even talking about auditory neuropathy spectrum disorder? Yeah, well so done, by the way, for making it through that acronym. <laughs> I'm trying to show off here, Rob. <laughs> he likes his big long words. Um, so part of the issue is, of course, that um, so ANSD is a very big spectrum. So they present at ABR testing as profound, basically. So you're unable to, to unable to generate a threshold to a, a tone pip or a chirp ABR, but you can see hair cell function. So be that from a, a cochlear microphonic or from a autoacoustic emission. But then the children have very, very varied behavioural results. Um, we've started. We, we've looked in depth at our population here in Nottingham, and we've actually found that none of ours are normal. But there are some reports in the literature that ANSD from birth can result in some in, in normal hearing. But it does appear to go anything from basically normal all the way to profound and require require implantation. So there's a there's a wide spectrum of what they end up with basically behavioural for their for their detection thresholds. Because as a somebody who's mostly worked in the adult industry, I mean everybody can surely think of somebody that's looked at a PTA and looked at somebody in front of them and gone. This doesn't make any sense. Do you think a portion of that could be just undetected ANSD or almost other processing thing? Okay. Almost almost certainly, to be honest. That's terrifying as an audiologist to know that yeah. there's this unknown group of um so the, the two so it appears that um whilst in the literature, the literature suggests that the most common form of hearing loss that they present with is a low frequency loss, that looks to be more required. So that looks to be more required losses for the NSD. Nearly all our population of newborns have gone on to show a high frequency loss. So there's nothing to suggest that, it, that there will be adults banging around out there from the 60s, 70s, 80s, pre, pre-universal screening sort of thing, who are, who are presenting with high frequency losses that they've probably had from birth that will be ANSD. And likewise, there's probably a, a large population of reverse slope losses they might well be some of those will probably be ANSD and to be honest with you it wouldn't also surprise me if some of our well babies that have passed the screen that then at the age of three four five are diagnosed with a high frequency sentinel hearing loss if if they're not ANSD at birth as well. I was going to say, how, how would they get picked up, the, the kids who are diagnosed later? And that, that's the that's the issue, you see. We, we don't look for it. So um, by the age of three or four, by the time they come in and they've got a high frequency sentinel hearing loss at, at that age, their OAE is likely to have burnt out anyway. We never do a, so if they did have ANSD at birth and they had it off an OAE, it's gone now. So you have no evidence of the, the hair cell function. And then there's the idea that we never do an ABR on them, so we never we never pursue an idea. Once once that child's diagnosed with a high frequency sentinel hearing loss, we, we manage it as a high frequency sentinel hearing loss without looking for a yeah a, I guess a, a root cause. And you mentioned there um, the OAE burning out, which I've heard as an expression a couple of times before. What's the what's the mechanism behind that? How does that happen? So it's more a, a we think than we know but what what we think is happening is that the, it's the backflow down the nerve that turns off the hair cell response so what we think is happening in ANSD or could be happening in ANSD is that the backflow down the nerve is then interrupted so the hair cells just repeatedly overfire, and that's why you see bigger cochlear microphonics in children with ANSD than, than in normal hearing children possibly and why you get an OAE, you get an OAE response that then burns over time 
But I think there's two different mechanisms going on here. There's two different sites of lesion, which is some of the other work that's currently undergoing mainly in, in um, from Kai, like you suggested, and in um, Australia and whatnot, which is that we've certainly seen where children who have autoacoustic emissions have cochlear microphonics with clear middle ears, but we've also seen children who don't have OEs who've got really large microphonics with clear middle ears. So there's no reason why they shouldn't have an OE, but they, but just, they just don't. don't. Oh, okay. Just and I guess I guess to sort of backpedal slightly for anybody who's 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 clicked on this episode wanting to learn more about ANST more basically, the reason why that's important is that that's one of the key findings of ANSD of of how we how we come to the conclusion that it might be this because we're starting to see a pattern of results of is, would it be fair to say weird ABR normal OAE is that right? Yeah. So um, when we looked at our data here, what we decided to do is put it into four groups. So we put our data into weird ABR but has an OAE, no ABR but has an OAE, weird ABR but has a cochlear microphonic, no OAE, no ABR. No, no OAE has a cochlear microphonic. And what we found was that that last group, so the ones that have no ABR, so their ABR is a complete flat line, they have no autoacoustic emission, but they have a large CM, nearly all of them are profound. So nearly oh, all okay. of them have gone for cochlear implantation. So we, we found there was a st- really quite big statistical difference between the, the four groups. Okay. I guess in my head, I always lumped cochlear microphonic and OAE together. I never understood why you would do one over the other or... So you would have one and not the other. Yeah. And there's no real anatomical reason why you might not, other than possibly site of lesion. So the, the one one's being generated slightly differently compared to the others or has slightly more components in it compared to the others. Um, certainly, if we get an OAE, we, we don't do a cochlear microphonic. But if we don't get an OEE, then we'll definitely do a, definitely do a cochlear microphonic, if that makes sense, or once we're up there at those sort of levels. So the OEEs can, can burn out, but the cochlear microphonic can't? No, cochlear microphonic can burn out as well. Right, oh, okay. Um, so cochlear microphonic can, can burn out with, with time as well. So if you miss that diagnostic window early in life, then how, how would you get an ANSD diagnosis? That's the, the easiest way would be to do an ABR and get a get a flat line or a grossly abnormal response. So one of the things that we were potent, we, we might potentially look at in the future is take some of our um, late identified children, uh, so the, the children who were identified at 2-3 who passed the newborn screen, and offer them um, a click neurological ABR. Okay. Um, so in theory, they should, the, the ones that they should all have neurological ABR responses provided their, their hearing thresholds are low enough to generate one. Um, so to see how many actually were ANSD at birth and work backwards, it seems an easier study than uh, than taking every baby and doing AABR on them. Yeah, is... yeah, I was going to say that sounds sounds uh, that sounds really interesting. Actually, I'd be be fascinated to that. And and what are you? Ex- I guess it's not how research should be done, but what are you expecting from? What are you expecting to get from those Oto neuro ABRs? Because I've heard, I think I was part of a course that you ran where somebody said something about running something and you said oh you could you could bang an, an otoneuro abr in there and they seemed put off by that they seemed to not want to do that they sort of thought that was that was beyond the realms of of what they were they wanted to do um so what what, what are you expecting from that what are you looking for with a, with a neuro abr so basically there's 
strongly published norms. So you can take a you can take a neurological ABR response and then say, okay, is it delayed? Is it absent? Etc. You can basically plot the the sounds track up the nerve effectively. So by by doing a neurological, um, you're going super threshold, nice and slow. You're putting that nerve in the absolute optimal conditions to test it. Is it is it functioning right? Um, and we do a lot of neuros, not for the old school stuff of does this patient have a tumor, but just for this idea of is the pathway. Is it functional in there? And and now that we have so little to work on, what can we get as a as a canvas? I suppose. And am I right in saying I think I read somewhere that because the because there are so many factors that would affect where those peaks are on a neuro ABR, you're not looking at where they are absolutely, but you're looking at the differences between them and are they yeah the so inter peak latencies? Quite right. So you've got two things: you've got absolutes and then inter peaks and then interaural. Um, so think of it I always like when I'm teaching it I think of it like a train so it's essentially a case of did the train just leave the station late so but it got to every station at the same length it got the it left 20 minutes late but it got to the next station 20 minutes late and it got to its destination 20 minutes late or did it leave the station on time but somewhere along the route got massively delayed and then you can sort of work out where you are with it it's a good analogy (laughs) You, di- you didn't look like you had full confidence in it, but it, it gets a seal of approval from me. It's good. One. I'm a big fan of analogies. Um, Jason, like- can we go back to the beginning quickly? Um, so when I'm training newborn screeners, I know that there's obviously a, a very good and, and, and a detailed protocol for what they have to go through, especially in England. But the way I would sort of flag the first signs and you and this is I'm asking this almost as like a provocative question. Um if I have a clear response OAE at screen, but a no clear response ABR, and then I have a no clear response OAE and then a clear response ABR in opposite ears, that sort of for me would be quite a red flag of something like ANST. Would you agree? Um, yeah, it, it can be. Um, hmm. it, it can be. Okay. So in, in terms of um, the, the pathway, where would you or how would you encourage departments if they were here today looking at well you know i actually don't think we routinely look even in our peds departments for for um you know for for causes of sensory neural hearing loss what would be your ideal diagnostic protocol wow um that's an interesting one um in in an ideal world like i say you so you've got you got your ones from birth which you're going to pick up through um, ABR and sensor neural losses, etc., and ANSD anyway. So in a in a in an ideal world, you're going to pick those up anyway. For your ones that are picked up later, I mean, we don't we don't even do this here. But you, if you're doing etiology and looking into it, you you could look at risk factors. So you could be looking at stuff like um, we we obviously look at this. Um, we you, you could be looking at stuff like uh, hyperbilirubinia, oxygen dependency at birth, thing, things like that. But they they would tend to be NICU babies anyway that have that have gone through that. Um, like I say, in an ideal world, if you could do an ABR test on them to uh, to to diagnose if they've got ANSD or not, the question then though would be would that change in management and probably. At that age, probably not, in all honesty. Um, I think it's an interesting point that you raise about the, the screen, um, and that's around maturation and bits and bobs like that, that we're allowed to screen babies from 34 weeks. 
the ABR, the ABR response isn't really mature. It's there, it's there and thereabouts, and in some babies it will be mature at 34 weeks, but it's not really mature properly until about 40, 41 weeks gestational age. So we do, we do screen them a bit. We do screen them a bit early in in that sense, and it tends to be that. To be honest, it tends to be that they they trip through the template a little bit rather than the. It, it's a, it's a worrying sign, especially if they've got clear response both ears. Out, uh, no clear response AABR both ears and they're, they're born at 24 weeks let's say you're, yeah you're slightly concerned and I think the other challenge as well is that you know without again sounding too controversial but where you live in the UK will very much depend on what kind of screen you have you know there are there are countries that will do one OE on one ear and if you get a clear response off you go that doesn't <laughs> I don't know you know and, and then there are others who only do AABR so you'll never see if there's any you know active hair functionality with OE um, so I guess if you're a child in NICU or SCABU you'll get both in most you know UK based hospitals you'll get both but it is a very interesting point that you mentioned earlier actually in the talk was that it's so easy to fall through the net right with this condition absolutely absolutely and there probably are a lot of well babies banging banging around out there with it and let's not lose sight I guess of the the the, the canvas that backs this which is that we have a newborn hearing screening program like how many things realistically do we do we screen for how how many tests are carried out on newborn babies when they're when they're born like how many if you're a whatever if you're not an audiologist if you're in another industry like not all industries have insight at all or, or have or have got off the ground a program to to check the hearing of literally every baby that's born that's that's pretty insane when you think about it I think the issue is not without knowing the numbers, you can never know whether it's cost effective to to roll it out to to look for them all. It, it, it may be a case that the, there are literally only ten well babies, ten twelve well babies a year born born with ANSD. It may be that there's a thousand babies born with ANSD a year across the country, and things better. We we just don't really know at the Classic. moment. And, and until we know those numbers, we can't then tell you whether the screen's cost effective to look for it for the classic example of asking for money to go looking for something and being asked whether you'll find it or not yeah liz not to put you on the spot too much but we i don't feel like we get an awful lot of inquiries for training especially for like things like um neurological abrs or cochlear microphonics would that be fair to say yeah i can't remember us having any inquiries for that's because I get them all. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. That's nice. That isn't it. My two colleagues are sat there going, I feel like we don't have to do for it. No one does any work. It's a dying it is a dying test because everyone just assumed that the whole thing for neuro ABR was, oh, it can help you diagnose acoustic acoustic neuromas. Now it went, it was great when it used to be about hundred quid to, to do an ABR and about five hundred quid to do an uh, an MRI. Now, now MRI is so cheap, so accurate, etc. Neuro's just died a death. But it, it's not for. So don't use it for that. Use it for sort of pathway function to prove yeah. that you've got other things get going off. Um, there's a really nice. Well, I think it's a really nice article because I wrote it. But there's a really <laughs> nice article in the, the PWA members magazine um, on its use in its use in adults. Uh, okay. In, in last in the last episode in the last and where could we find that jason if somebody did want to read that such as myself you have to be a bwa member Which I uh, am. oh you are so it should be in the magazine it should be in the um should be in the last magazine baa um, people that one yeah gotta have been it's gotta be sat right next to me in its plastic packaging just now um um hold the phone 
what testing on adults what and <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what that article demo so we, we we run a um like a complex testing clinic so if there's if there's an adult that look it just doesn't make sense the results just don't fit it, you, what you're seeing in front of you is just really really weird they they seem to end up here for electrophysiological assessment and it's just a case of okay let, let's let's throw everything we've got at them and see if we can work out what's cracking off so in that report is um is a is an adult with onset ansd and then uh, in that report also is the use of neuro abr to prove that a loss is central so a, a, a post-stroke lady who had uh. so she she doesn't have ansd she has a central loss because she's got oes in both ears a beautiful neurological abr but her corticals are greater than 120 and off the bottom of the chart unfortunately got yeah and that's that's true of any uh, when we talk when we talk about ansd am i right in saying that's true of anything where as soon as you've got a word for it it's no longer ansd as soon as you've got something else to call it by bang on yeah so soon so for example children with absent auditory nerves often present with ansd like patterns as soon as you stick them in the scanner and you know they've got no nerves in either ear or no nerve in the ear that's got the ANSD. They're not ANSD anymore. Yeah, ANSD-like symptoms. They're, they're, yeah. It's an ANSD-like pattern of results with mm -hmm. no nerve. And, and I guess I guess a lot of adults with these sorts of symptoms present as non-organic. Yeah. Is the issue. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the bottom line. Yeah. The audiologist that's just done the PTA and maybe a speech test yeah. thinks that they've found them out because the speech test has been okay. Or the speeches have been questionable, or so some of them will present like so. So their speech is often poorer than their audiogram, mm -hmm. and then the OAEs are present. So got you. you've got you've got two things that are pointing you towards. Well, are they faking me the 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 speech test and the audiogram effectively? And then I've got my I've got my OAE. It, from from experience, a lot of them are faking the. the <laughs> The hearing test, and it it is non-organic, but it is always better to to prove it. There's always one that crops up, the weird and wonderful. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's only it's only people like yourself that find that out. Um, <laughs> as somebody else once pointed out to me, because once you get them in the room and say, "So we're going to do a, a regular hearing test now," and then after that, we're going to do a hearing test where I know whether you're telling the truth or not, and they tend to give you a pretty good PTA. Oh yeah, exactly. Or or my fa my favourite trick: tell us when you haven't heard the sound. And a lot of them will stand as soon as you as soon as you present the sound, a load of them will go, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. As as nope. Present... <laughs> Not hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a tricky concept to get across to people when you when and we're getting wildly off topic here, but that's very much my affectation. <laughs> it's a tricky concept to present to somebody who's doing like a speech test, for like like a speech and noise test, for example, to say, This is the first time this person's gonna realise that they're not hearing something. Because when you did the audiogram when they had a hearing loss, they heard everything. As far as they're concerned, everything they heard, they pressed the button for. This is the first time they're going to notice oh, there's something missing there. Um, but yeah, that's one of my one of my one of my boxes I stand on. I've got a question that's a little bit off tangent, but um, is it is it the case that uh, ANSD patients will typically not have uh, acoustic reflexes? Yeah, precisely. So, um, yeah, it makes sense if the nerve is missing. But in all cases of ANSD, what if what if the issue is further along the pathway? Yeah, most most cases seem to report that there are most of the literature and whatnot seems to support the the idea that actually the the reflex is absent. Um, but like you say, 
theoretically anatomically, if the lesion's further up, then possibly they should have a reflex. But but most of the literature suggests that they don't. So, it would just be interesting whether that would be like useful as part of the the screening or the pathway. Yeah, I've never been a I've never been a massive fan on one kilohertz to, uh, tympanometry with reflexes. It's a bit it's a bit woolly. Um, and then to bring it in on a screener model where it's a non qualified member of staff to screen would be would be difficult and problematic. Mm. As a quick test, though, in the clinic, great. Let's say you're a yeah. Let's say you're a you're running a private private clinic, for example, and you've got the ability to do PTA OEs and acoustic reflexes, and your choices are go and get an MBR unit <laughs> or, or do an acoustic reflex. Would that be applicable? That be a, a place yeah, to I say. Yeah, I think so. So if if you were if you were running a private practice or a small practice X Y Z, and you you thought to yourself, I'm not convinced this is not, so. I've I've got a high frequency loss or I've got a flat moderate loss. I've got OEs because I've done I've done OEs in both ears, and I'm really not sure this is actually non-organic. I'm going to do a reflex. Oh, now I haven't got reflexes. Yeah. Mm well worth them being like oh i think i think let's let's have a look at this elsewhere Let, let's get this scene elsewhere refer it on because reflexes is another one of those things where like you say it, it didn't reflexes am i right in saying started out as like a looking for acoustic neuromas and stuff like that and then because that application of it was replaced by much cheaper scans there's something that sort of certainly certainly from a clinical knowledge perspective we see it sort of fall by the wayside slightly a lot of places have the ability to do it but don't necessarily have the confidence to pick it up and just do it as and when if that makes sense yeah Yeah. i'll reach for it when they're yeah at loss of what else no they know of it but they don't really know its applications Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's what I would say. There's lots of there's lots of places where oh that's what it does after you've done the timp. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there. Yeah, we just we can't do a timp without it. You'd be yeah. the timp results would be wrong if, it, yeah. if there wasn't a case of reflex at the end. Just to just to send you out the door with a 95 dB tone. That's what we always like. Well, that was extremely interesting discussion about ANSD. I'm very grateful to everyone. I think my final question is, Jason, what do you really want for Christmas? <laughs> um you can't say world peace oh damn it um <laughs> apart from the elf on the apart from no more elf on the shelf i've got an eight year old that's the worst thing in the world if you there's any parents listening don't introduce elf on the shelf um just so i i would say abr training so if you're at all concerned about what you're seeing like peer review or anything like that uh, and you get in touch there's there's People out there, we'll we'll help you with stuff. We'll 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 put you in touch with stuff. We'll we'll help you diagnose stuff. We've we've seen a lot of weird stuff before. Mm. If you're at all concerned or you don't know what you're looking at, just just let us know. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah. And is is the BAA a good place to contact if they don't know you personally or? Yeah, yeah. So go go through the BAA or or even um, the if you, if if it's EP wise, if it's vote potentials wise, ABR wise, go to the BSA and they'll they'll pass your details to the EP SIG and there'll be someone on there that, that can help and it will be help and it will be support. It won't be a. That's excellent. Telling off if you're doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've we've done we've acted as that sort of go between a couple of times now where somebody has said you know obviously they they tend to encounter us first and say well I'd love to start doing this but I. But I wouldn't know what I was looking at and I, I would need support with that. And we end up just sort of connecting some people and going, well, you know, 
you might be worth you guys having a chat yeah. um because it is a is a it's an industry where i think we do need to connect to each other so you've got yourself in trouble there i'm afraid jason because i speak to a lot of people who uh uh, <laughs> want your email address it's not a problem yeah and the the thing is i'm quite happy to to share our protocols and what we do and everything like that's not 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 a problem at all share if we share knowledge then the practice goes up brilliant well um delighted to have you jason um thank you so much for being with us today i know it's obviously your own time you've taken so we really appreciate it and it's been great to talk about this a particular area of audiology that is not you know a hugely talked about topic but sounds very important so thanks for joining us i'm just disappointed i didn't get to find out what you want for christmas chris ah well that's a state secret and also costs far too much money but i did say actually uh, the other day i was like why can't there just be like one device that does balance with vemps like why do we have to have but anyway that's a whole different topic um <laughs> not, but, not yeah. a bad call though not a bad oh, call. thank you yeah i did think that but uh, See, by the I way thought, i thought i was the nerdy one you guys both want audiology things for christmas i genuinely <laughs> i was just gonna cut in with like a bottle of whiskey or something it'd be great and then I'm glad I didn't now because you guys had uh, world peace and all sorts on the cards. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, anyway, by the way, that was copyright, that whole idea. Just so you know, that was totally copyright. Anyway, um, thanks again, Jason. I'm going to say thank you from me, Chris. It's been a delight to have you today. And it's a goodbye from Liz. Goodbye. And it's an Alfiedersein from Rob. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Take care. Bye for thanks now. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.